Hello and welcome to Beyond the Now. This is a podcast where we dial in on the challenges that business and consumers face to secure the future of the Internet of Things. My name is David Maidman and I'm Director of Secure Devices Ecosystem at Arm and a founder of PSA Certified. In this podcast, we'll be joined by experts from across the tech sector, all with a shared vision of securing IoT and building a connected society. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Peter Stevens, Head of Secure by Design Cybersecurity at DCMS. Peter, welcome. It's great to talk to you today. Thanks very much, David. Great to be here. To start with, could you explain your role at DCMS and also, I guess, to explain what DCMS is? Sure. So DCMS is the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. I work in the area which is really in the digital arm and particularly aiming on the cybersecurity aspect of that. So I work within the National Cybersecurity Strategy, um, which has got an objective, which is the majority of products and services coming into the UK and into use by, by consumers are secured by default. This is also off the back of the, the Prime Minister, the UN um, in a General Assembly speech, talked about the importance of making sure that emerging technologies are built with the right safeguards in place to protect our people. So as I said, my team is based in London um, under normal circumstances in DCMS. So we also work in close partnership with the National Cybersecurity Centre, uh, the NCSC. Over the last three years or so, we've really thought about how can we prioritise an area of technology. And I think that, you know, consumer connected devices really called out to us as that, that perfect storm of, you know, a category mm. which is in wide distribution, in wide use. But in many cases, security is still an afterthought. We've been working quite quickly to try and think about how we can, first of all, you know, codify, make it easy to implement good practice, as we did in the Code of Practice, which we published in 2018. But also thinking, you know, actually, how can we make sure that we are having the right balance of, of sharing good practice, but also thinking about legislation in the future, because there's been a lot okay. of calls for that as well. So it's an area that, that a lot of folks hear about. I think we begin to understand that governments and regulators are are becoming increasingly aware of the challenges. But I think, you know, it's going to be great to, uh, to kind of tease that up part a little bit and understand more. To start off with and to take a, a bit of a step back, you know, you mentioned that your I guess your focus is primarily consumer based. It would be good to understand your kind of current perception, if you like, of, kind of IoT and consumers and, and how you view that. Under normal circumstances, the trend has been that consumers are adopting these products. I think that they offer a range of really amazing benefits to, to consumers in their homes. You know, think about these devices being used for, for health trackers or enabling people to reduce their carbon footprint. I think, you know, people are embracing these devices. Something that we've always been interested in is I think people don't necessarily know what an IoT device is. So whenever I say, you know, the average home has about nine or 10 connected devices, people can think, oh, God, no, that doesn't sound like me. I haven't got a smart kettle or a smart fridge. But then actually we start to think about if you have a television that has Netflix, that's a smart TV. If you have a personal assistant in in an Alexa or or Echo, that's that's a smart speaker, that's a smart device as well. I think in terms of something that I find really interesting is perceptions of security in these devices. And I think that there's this narrative that consumers just don't care about security. They just want something that that can do what what they want to for the price they pay for it. So we actually did a, quite a lot of studies into this. And, and one of the pieces of insight that we got from that was saying that consumers actually really do care about security. It's actually one of the most important characteristics they look for. But actually, the problem we find ourselves in is that consumers sort of already assume that it's safe because it's for sale. And I think that's a testament to you know trading standards and other existing legislation. It wouldn't be possible to buy something that could really put me at, at harm. The scary thing that we're finding ourselves in is that you know these devices, given where they are in the home and what they actually do, they can be used for some really malicious purposes. Purposes. There's some frequent horror stories about devices that are used. There was a, a witch report that came out today that talked about smart plugs could be compromised and actually could start a house fire. 
there is that case of scaring. There's all these scare stories. Now, you know, for my side, I see that as a threat to the growth of the sector. We need to find the balance of. I think they need to be aware enough about what security in you know, the security is there, but also they need to be presented with that information so they can make that decision. Because right now, I think people are just overwhelmingly uh, assuming that they're safe, and I, I see that as a bit of a problem. And actually, we've had kind of similar discussions in in other podcasts around the the cost of failure, if you like. And and it's interesting what you raise there around the ability to manipulate an IoT device and then the consequence of that action isn't always obvious. One of the other areas that I kind of love to to explore and and talk about in the podcast was around the relationship between technology and insurance as well. And the fact that if you insure something, you know, you have to perceive the risk. And and I I guess the role of government regulation industry and, and and also consumer awareness all fits into that doesn't it it's it's sort of you you buy a device because of its capabilities but actually the cost of failure is perhaps something yeah. that is, is not yet widely understood by the consumer and then that's totally right and I, I think that you know a challenge that we've had we've got is that as you say there are just so many organizations who at varying levels of depth should be made mm-hmm. aware of just how much you know how much under the bonnet do i need to look at this if you have this iceberg and i think consumers really should be only facing the tip of it you know they should only be looking at how seriously yeah. does, does this organization, this manufacturer, this device take my safety and security and privacy? But then, as you say, like insurers or procurers who make much bigger orders of these devices, you know, if they're mm. going to be buying sensors that are used at scale, you know, they need to be given the right level of, of information about that. And so I think a challenge that we've always faced here is security is never going to be 100% fixed. And so mm. we'll never get to a point where there's a really clear right answer and it's in the back of the book and everyone needs to do that. But what we've tried to do is to not only propose our own sort of vision of what we think the good practice looks like, but also try and show how much consensus there already is, especially if you're a new entrant to this market, whether that's like, as you said, insurers who are overwhelmed by different standards, bodies, different guidelines. How can we show just how much consensus there is? You know, that's something that that we shared, which is the IoT security landscape map, which are colleagues at Copper Horse who engaged on the development of the code of practice, you know, that have helped to, to lead that. And that's something that's, you know, we need to keep updated because there isn't going to be one simple answer that solves all of this. But mm. I think that the more we can do to try and overcome that friction is always really helpful. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess it, you know, we often look at it as, as something that starts off very fragmented with with different viewpoints. And I presume over time you, you reach a consolidation or at least a consensus across markets as to what that looks like. And, and I guess that that map that you describe is sort of the fact that you call it a map perhaps reflects on the complexities of, of what we work with in terms of all the different regulations, standards, industry best practice bodies, and, and how all of those come together. We kind of associate government with regulation. We call the podcast Beyond the Now. We're, we're looking into the future and future-proofing for secure devices tomorrow. What's your view on regulation and, and is that a big way forward when we published the code the initial hope was that industry would at scale all adopt good practice let's not forget that there are lots of really really good manufacturers lots of good retailers who do take this really seriously who are very aware of you know the risks these devices can compose and so they do want to make sure they do the right thing but it's, it is such a diverse spectrum you know you've got so many different manufacturers all engaged in the sector and the, the spectrum of how much they know about it and how much they care we didn't come in thinking we would definitely deregulation. We hoped that we would see the the adoption of good practice, as we said, but really mm. we haven't seen that happening as quickly as we'd like. And you know, this sector is continuing to grow, and as and as that grows faster than the adoption of good practice, the attack surface grows. And so, mm. when you think about the risk of DDoS and botnets, um, as well as just the individual harms that can be caused by these these sort of cyber attacks, we do really feel the need to to have to do something there. So we we've always been really keen to make sure that our 
legislation we put it through would be proportionate and pragmatic. We've had a number of consultations. Um, we had a consultation in 2018 about our code, and then we had a consultation in 2019 about legislation. And really that came down to you know, prioritizing the top three aspects of our code of practice, which really just boils down to make sure that you don't need a default password. Make sure that you have transparency at the point of sale about how long security updates are available for that device. And also that make sure you, you update and maintain coordinated vulnerability disclosure program. You know, those are what we think is the proportionate approach. And I think the benefit of that, mm. to your point about future proofing, is that two of those three are kind of organizational in that they are based on an organization doing something good. Um, and maintaining, you know, feedback, which is, you mm. know, about aviation. The reason mm. why aviation is so safe is because every time there's something goes wrong, you know, there's a there's a black box, which means that we can always build on that sense of feedback. Mm. And so I think vulnerability disclosure programs. My hope is they will maintain a similar approach. Security updates. I think I don't think most consumers know, but those are really important um, for the long term success and safety of the device. So transparency there around how long these devices will be looked after in the same way that people are transparent about how long manufactured warranties last for you know these are the kinds of yep. things that we need to start to pushing in that direction i'm really concerned i suppose about implementing legislation and then immediately creating a, a ceiling we want to make sure that all manufacturers are always incentivized to make you know their devices as safe as it can be there's an interesting conversation about how can we how can we do that in the right way how can we you know, continue to raise the bar continue to you know celebrate that how can we inform consumers in, in an appropriate way? And we need to make sure that we are working with our partners abroad as well. So we work quite closely with the US, the New Zealanders, the Australians, the Canadians, the Singaporeans, the Europeans as well. You know, we've been really working closely with Etsy. Product of that has been has been has been really good as well. It's interesting you you mentioned the sort of international landscape, and I was, I was, I was kind of my mind was wandering towards that, which is natural for working in the electronics industry, like like I do. It's an international market. You know, you build a device and it should be accessible to as many markets as possible. How smoothly do you anticipate that flow to be of, of kind of harmonization between territories? Is that something that is naturally yeah. going to happen? Or, you know, is there a kind of a warm embracing of that? And is there a mechanism to do that? Yeah, I think that, you know, standards bodies play a really big part in that. Uh, and that's why in parallel to our development of legislation work, we've always been engaging with, with Etsy, as I said, for the last two and a half, three years, we've been working with them to develop um, Etsy. Initially, 103645, then also 303645, which came out in, in June this year. That enables us to sort of put out, you know, initially the code and also sort of see about making sure we can build on feedback from that. How can we benefit from Etsy's memberships and all of, all of the manufacturers mm. are included who have been able to feed into that? And also, how can we make sure that the academics can feed into this? You know, how can we be open to the risk of the wrong incentives being put in place. And so I think, you know, that's something that I see is really important. Going back to the point about the landscape and the map, whilst we have been seeing things like SB 327 in California, which is now sort of being adopted, I think, in you know, a number of other states in the US, there is a lot of consensus, a lot of agreement in what good practice looks like. I think that there won't be, I think, a legislation out there which will say default passwords are actually really good and we should use them. We've been trying to make it pro-tech and also you know, pro-innovation as well. And I suppose mm -hmm. a part of that has been our approach around security updates and labeling. Like, you know, one of the options was that we would implement across all 13 aspects of the code of practice there was feedback to say that actually that could be a, a barrier to innovation and then also thinking about maybe we should do a label where all products have to be labeled but of course like supply chains and that is always going to be a challenge um and i think that also another challenge with that is people might think a device is 100 percent safe which of course it never will be mm. yeah um, it's understanding the label yeah. isn't it? and so what it represents so we, we try to make sure that we always 
respond to that and we always look at what feedback we're getting we think transparency is important but we're not going to mandate how you do it i I don't think that there is a role for government to be saying we think that you have to protect your toaster for five years and with security updates because Mm. i have no idea how long you are planning to use your toaster for but i think the notion of a security life cycle is valuable and actually the consumer is partially educated to it with their smartphones and with their laptops, they're used to having those annoying messages that say, hello, I've got to download. I think that they're aware of that. They mostly do it probably because they're being nagged to do it. And in, the <laughs> end, in the end, the machine shuts down and does it anyway. But the consumer, at least from a digital point of view, understands a, a life cycle, I guess, in, I, in its most basic form. I, mm. I think totally agree. And that from my side, I would like consumers to go in and see a, a product for sale and say, right, I'm ex- and see that it has a minimum support period of, of two years and say, okay, mm. that, that roughly aligns with how long I expect to have this product for. Mm. So what I don't want to do is that government at a higher, you know, higher up in the chain, say to the manufacturer, you have to put it up for two years. And then the consumer has no information at the point where they make that decision. To your point, I think consumers, I think, as you say, quite often see these updates as a slight annoyance, as opposed mm. to actually kind of critical for making sure that their device keeps being protected. There are inevitable vulnerabilities within within devices, and I think that we need to be trying to find that right balance in, in giving consumers the right level of information. So, yeah, I, I totally agree in terms of product lifecycle, in terms of giving them the minimum period of time that will definitely be supported for, I think is really important. And I, what I don't think is necessary is for, is for government to say to X or Y manufacturer, you need to do this for five years, and because we've arbitrarily came up with that number. Yeah, that's the balance, isn't it? That's how prescriptive you are. And it's interesting, maybe to to switch a little bit. So we've been focusing on the consumer. And then if you think about Mm. the kind of the supply chain industry supplying all of those connected devices to the consumer, you know, for example, PSA certified, we've been working on on a role of industry best practice so that the electronics industry is voluntarily doing this in order to show that they are thinking about security lifecycle, having a hardware protected route of trust, you know, all, all of those things. And actually, it links, it links a lot to what you're describing. The role between regulation and industry best practice is something you've touched upon where, you know, how far do you go? How far do, do we go if I represent the electronics industry? And, and where do those two meet? Maybe one of the questions around that, which I'd be curious on, is sort of the, the why industry cares. And, and you did speak about that a little bit. So mm. I guess there's two sides of that coin. One is, if you succeed, we can probably all agree that the market is bigger and exciting and there's a lot of opportunity. And if we fail, I assume the cost of failure is quite high, which is why we start to talk about, you know, cyber warranty, cyber insurance and that kind of thing. Is 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 that a kind of a valid way of looking at it from your perspective in terms of that sort of consumer industry dynamic? There's more that we can be saying about where should liability be laying? Um, where can we make sure that we are embedding good practice in the right in the right places? You know, from our case, government should only be there to intervene where there is you know, market failure, where you know where we start what start to see that actually things are not being done in the right way. That does happen sometimes in emerging technology. This is an area where we do think that you know there is that sense of market failure because right now people are being put really at risk without knowing it. Um, and I think that, you know, we have a responsibility to capture that worst offence. I think the challenge that we're always going to face is that, you know, we're always going to have to be raising the bar moving forward. And we'll always have to be making sure that we allow space for, for industry players like yourselves to make sure that you are showing good practice, that you are clearly able to you know, be aware of the, of the direction that we're going in so that you can always make sure that you're keeping ahead of the curve. Um, and then I think that we have responsibility to capture those worst offenders, really. Yeah, no, I think that's a valid point. And, you know, even industry best practices, you know, by definition, it's voluntary. 
companies are choosing to to self-certificate, for example, because they've decided that it's something that is important to them. But that doesn't mean that every company is deciding to do that. Presumably that that role of regulation and industry best practice, you know, they live hand in hand because like you say, you catch the worst offenders or, you know, you protect the interests of the consumer because by the time you get to the consumer, it's actually very difficult to understand how that best practice has been followed. It'd be interesting to understand your view on protecting the consumer and supply chain and yeah, it's kind of a scary word, but where does liability lie in, in that? You know, it's, kind of, it's not a word we ever use lightly, but we've spoken a bit about that cost of failure and, and the supply chain is complex to the consumer you know there's normally many levels to it is is that something that you're kind of considering in in this as well absolutely when we first thought about this we were thinking about you know retailers and manufacturers right and then we start thinking Mm. it's actually a lot more complicated than that so there's already existing regulation which talks about this kind of thing um and i think global global product safety is an example of that which might differentiate between producers and, and distributors which we've always been thinking about. And I think, you know, we published our proposal um, in July this year, which calls out where we think the liability should lie between those two bodies, um, producers and, and distributors, also being aware of the fact that, you know, lots of these devices are at least have some aspect of their supply chain is, is beyond um, the UK. So I think we have to be you know, aware of how can we make sure that we are uh, able to, you know, develop legislation that is enforceable. And I think that, I think that, you know, it's something that we're very aware of. Fundamentally, it is up to the producer to make sure that their product does adopt these good practices. If you think about the top three components that are proposed in our legislation, those are quite easily testable. And I think that's a really important component in regulation is to say, actually, how easy is it to, to call out someone for just doing something that clearly isn't right? It's very easy to tell that someone doesn't have a, a coordinated vulnerability disclosure program because there's no way to report a vulnerability. Uh, and I think it's very easy to say, you know, that they haven't been clear about security updates because they haven't done it. From our side, I think that retailers and distributors have a responsibility for that space um, because they want to make sure that, you know, the, they're stocking devices. They want to make sure that, you know, a consumer quite often goes in and buy and buy things and and does have an element of trust that's attached to that in the same way that you would you would with food or any other mm. any other sector. You know, you assume that if you're buying X or Y product, then you assume it's safe. They need to be attuned to that responsibility, but also we need to be thinking. You know, actually, quite often the buyers who are responsible for you know stocking the retailers have to be uh, you know aware of what they should, what kind of questions they should be asking. Another big question is you know lots of these devices. We think about seventy five percent of them are bought online, so that's a, that's a big shift away from you know global product safety regulation is fifteen years old. I think so. You know, there's been a shift in in the last fifteen years um, about mm-hmm. where we see these devices being bought and sold. How can we make sure that uh, that those devices are that we're capturing that as well? I think that you know what we don't want to do is put ourselves in the position when um, you know the high street is at the difficulty relative to, to online retailers because I think that you know we have to see consumers need to be given the right information and also need to be trusting be able to trust both both sides because especially now when we see you know we haven't even really talked about COVID you know and, and I think mm. um, you know COVID has really shown that these devices are just a crucial part of how we're living. I'm looking in front of, I've got four connected devices just in front of me now. And I can imagine that all of us have been um, have been using these devices more, but also becoming more reliant on them as well. The damage that these, that these hacks could do right now is, is probably higher than ever, I think. It's fascinating, actually. And I hadn't really thought about it quite so vividly in terms of the retail, you know, kind of angle. And, and the fact that the purchasing teams of the retailers are out selecting these devices and making them available. If you go back to like, you know, the scary word liability, but, you know, liability comes in different forms as well as, you know, it's sort of brand reputation as well. Then presumably these organizations are slowly waking up to how their brand could, could be compromised through 
something that ultimately, you know, they're, they're somewhat removed from just just in terms of what they choose to sell. So that is fascinating how, you know, it is a really a joined up approach actually to, to solve this problem through the supply chain, you know, beyond beyond just the tech companies, but also the retailers and, and the channels. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. In terms of the tech companies and speaking as PSA certified and, and the electronics industry in general, how important do you see, you that, see that with regards to how that feeds into the work that you're doing? You, you spoke earlier on about consultation with industry. Could you perhaps expand a little bit on, on how that process works and how critical you see that in how you decide what, what regulations look like? I mean, absolutely. I think, I think you know, we've had... I think a very open door approach with it in terms of consultation with industry since even before the code was produced, mm-hmm. we had working groups and engagement you know, at that stage. Every major landmark that we have done has come with consultation and a, and a call for views and sort of asking for evidence and for sharing information. I think that you know we are always welcoming of, of advice and a perspective that we can't really gather. And I think sometimes that's difficult because quite often data can be quite sensitive. It's been immensely helpful for us to, you know, to really flesh out and think about these ideas because I think that, you know, as we all know, this is a, a fast moving area and, you know, we are all making sure that we are feeding it, having feedback from that and, and learning from, from what organizations are included in that as well as the, the tech accord. And I think the, the work you did with, with Etsy on mm-hmm. the PS103645, you know, these are great examples of that. Just to, just to be clear on, on how the process works, we have cool views quite often. They are things which have templates that people can fill in and share with us. And we have email addresses people can, can feed into us on our approach. And, you know, it, it's through that that we can really sort of learn. Another area where we've been trying to, uh, to gather more is, is through evidence sort of gathering and sharing. And I think, you know, fora like the OECD is a great example of that, where we can kind of get representatives, not just from, from people like myself, but also to hear from representatives from industry. There's a great community of security researchers who really want to see this work, who can see the, the, the benefits associated with this adoption of technologies and really want to see it work and just, you know, have just an unbelievable level of knowledge and resource. That community have been immensely helpful for us just in terms of you know being able to identify you know, the security requirements and scope implications there's been a huge number of, of people who, who have engaged in that and i think it's, it's really only you know we're very lucky in that regard in that what we're doing has got that you know really motivated group of people who who desperately want to make people mm-hmm. safer that's that's where we have been um really, really working together to do that and i think bringing together those different perspectives because depending on where you sit in that in that value chain you, you have slightly different perspectives on it as well. So, so yeah. Yeah. yeah, if we may, the, the podcast is beyond the now. We sort of, I think we, we quite like to sit five years out. One of the areas that we get asked a lot about that intersects with, with security is, is kind of artificial intelligence. And I think, again, that's something that the consumer is starting to hear about. There's a sci-fi version of it. There's a <laughs> reality version of it. And then there's kind of the vision of what we think it might look like in the future. You know, I guess from a technologist's point of view, what we're seeing is that data that's collected on these connected devices is, is interpreted and used to deliver services that are as a result of artificial intelligence. So the net result is that the data that's gathered is used to create the service and that because of the scaling, if we're successful in this, there will be millions, if not billions of connected devices because of the scaling, then, you know, having a very low level of human intervention is, is kind of the, the, the model that will prevail. 
and with that brings quite a few challenges. So looking at it as a kind of a continuum, I guess, of, you know, we're talking about having a smart connected device. We're talking about how to protect it from a regulatory point of view. And then we're talking about that device providing data and insight into services. Are you looking at that as a continuum? And, and does that intersect at all, you know, with, with DCMS in terms of how you help enterprises and maybe consumers as we start to head down that route? The Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, it's a very, very broad D, the digital aspect of that, you know, that includes mm-hmm. data privacy and as well as the Office for AI, which which sits in there as well. And, you know, we are really keen to make sure that whilst it's a, a different area or a different issue, trying to think about how we can apply a similar sort of approach. There will come a time when, you know, we would like to think about you know, IoT devices, consumer connected devices. And of course, as you said, these are being used not just in people's homes, enterprises are adopting them as well. Think about returning to work in office spaces and how a range of smart technologies to make sure that offices are more COVID secure and, and things like that. It's just, just one example of where we start, where we see this happening. You know, I think that government, from my perspective, has a responsibility to make sure that we're always trying to take, you know, really pragmatic steps. And I think it's quite uncomfortable sometimes because normally there is a case of uh, an answer, which, you know, you can, you can write the wrong through legislation and make sure that, you know, the, the issue doesn't come back. We have to be comfortable with that idea that we'll never make everything completely safe. We'll never Mm. make everything completely perfect. That's a tension point, which is always quite difficult. You have to make sure that you make that first step in order to being able to to protect and, you know, move in the right direction. And actually, it is just a case of trying to, you know, from my side, just on the cyber security for for IoT and conductive devices, is really just what are are the low-hanging fruits? How can we make them Mm. hang a a little lower or less low? I know, I was just kind of thinking and and slight slight sort of out of body moment then I was also thinking in terms of <laughs> finding ways to even talk about this stuff you know the technology like I said at the beginning the sort of the technology arrives very fast there's normally lots of hype there's lots of confusion having joined up ways of discussing it and understanding the bits that need to be cared about and the bits where we can allow innovation to happen is mm. is absolutely the challenge isn't it I guess that comes through that your breadth of discussions and having yeah. those different viewpoints, you know, as, as you said earlier. It's absolutely, um, absolutely. I, I, you know, I can't reiterate enough just how much it's been so valuable to us to have that varying mm. um, perspectives. And I think that that's something that should just continue. And I think that we're very lucky and I think it's very exciting how within this group of, you know, technologies, they, as you say, there's a lot of excitement and there are people who, who have different perspectives on the direction that, you know, things like AI should go into. And I think it's important to, to consult and to, to listen and uh, on the technical side, you know, people who, who can really have such skills, which, which we need to make sure that we are um, able to listen to and, and to translate into, into actionable and pragmatic steps, which, which can come through. And so I think, I think that's a really, tr- you know, it's a tricky one. We'd also, you know, getting close to to nearly you know having to end unfortunately but but one of the things we like to do is is ask whoever we're talking to to sort of end with one piece of advice i sometimes ask for five years from now but i'll I'll kind of leave it to you in terms of what that might look like but if you if you have sort of one piece of advice that you'd like to give the 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 listeners and sort of explain why why that matters to you i think that'd be really useful what i would love is a world in the future where people go in to shops and are looking to buy connected just for connected devices and they're asking just one question, which is how long is it going to be supported for? I would love there to be a sense where there's, you know, really important to those updates. The updates don't just mean that sort of slightly annoying email that you get to in the morning saying, please update your, your XYZ device. You know, I would love to see people to really kind of appreciate the benefits that come with this because so much thought goes into them. 
I would love there to be a sense of if you if you're buying these devices, that's my piece of advice. And if you're selling them, I think you know the more transparent you can be with your consumer, I think then that is just really setting us up for for a better relationship between consumers, manufacturers, retailers, regulators. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and it's not just that sell it and forget about it. It's to acknowledge yeah. it as it has a security life cycle yeah. and it needs to be looked after. Thank you very much, Peter. I think it's You're been really, welcome. really amazing talking to you. I've learned a lot. Hopefully the folks that are listening have as well. I'd like to thank you and I'd like to, to thank DCMS as well. It's been a really fascinating discussion and great insights, I think, into regulation, industry best practice, the view of the consumer. It's a complex landscape and I think take great comfort in, in the way that you openly engage with industry as well. I think that's a real strength and, and key to you know your mission. I'd also like to thank the listeners. Please do share your thoughts on social media and make sure you, you tag us at PSA Certified. And I would also encourage you to have a look at the website, which is psacertified.org, where you can learn a lot more about device level security. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on securing future technologies. So yeah, thank you again, Peter. It's been really interesting and I greatly appreciate it. We look forward to everybody joining us again on the next episode of Beyond the Now. Thank you very much. 